You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm Carlos Noche, and I'm joined by my amazing podcast partner, Lisa Schneer. Say hi, Lisa. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, we're talking about the role of sales ops and sales enablement to drive performance and skill proficiency. Try to say that twice. Our guests will discuss sales burnout and how it affects the physical and mental health, and we'll share some fun stories along the way. And to help us out with these topics today, we have Stephanie Benavides, a sales enablement thought leader dedicated to helping people grow their potential while simultaneously achieving business goals. Stephanie, thank you for taking the time today. Welcome to the show. Lisa, Carlos, happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. All right, Stephanie, we have our topic that we love to start every podcast with, is, which is, what is something that you're passionate about that those that only know you through work might be surprised to know about you? Ooh, ooh, what am I passionate about? I am passionate about cooking. I love to cook. Cooking is my love language. And I sometimes will sprinkle in some LinkedIn content and liken it to a recipe. So I think I had something up there that was a, about my family sauce. So my Italian gravy, whatever you want to call it. And I was likening it to all the different skills and things that people acquire over years and how you have to sprinkle a little bit of this or a little bit of this and to balance the acidity or whatever. And it was actually quite a popular post, but cooking is definitely one of my passions. Amazing. That's, I actually love cooking shows like the salt, fat, acid, heat series on Netflix and like all of those shows. I don't translate it into my kitchen. (laughs) I have the same like 12 go-to meals. But Stephanie, tell us a little bit more about your story. Like, how did you get to where you are today? I read something on your LinkedIn about Girl Scout cookies. (laughs) So it started early, it sounds like. (laughs) Yes. I always joke that my first sales career was in Girl Scout cookies, going door to door, peddling those $5 boxes of cookies, you know, that everyone loves. But truly, I grew up with a father who was sales, carried a bag, traveled, was on the road. He was a road warrior. Say that 10 times fast. I grew up hearing kind of his story. And that was not the path that I actually chose for myself. I went to school to be a journalist and that worked out not. I felt like that scene for me was not what I wanted to pursue. And so I ended up pursuing position as a sales, call it sales assistant, truly. I was doing a little bit of everything, contracts, RFPs, procurement, pricing, all of those things, and was with a healthcare organization. So we did purchasing for hospitals at that time. And I moved into different roles along the way, selling, sales ops, was in health and wellness technology, SaaS technology space for quite a bit of time and moved into kind of sales management and overseeing teams. And today I work at a company. I took a leap of faith, left the healthcare space and am now in the logistics space and overseeing sales enablement for our organization. So 
work very closely with all of our sales leadership, product, marketing, making sure that we're building a really solid sales engine that's predictable, consistent, and uniform. Because in startup world, those are not terms that you usually hear, right? You hear a lot of like, we're just trying everything to see what works. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Even organizations, once they take off, they lack those processes and stuff in place, right? Right. So they that's where they go, hey, we've gotten this far, but now we need some process. We need some consistency. Process excellence is something I am very passionate about. I think I call myself a process junkie. (laughs) I like it. So let's talk about sales enablement. Drawing from your experience and what you've seen out there, how does sales enablement help provide improve performance, metrics, and results for organizations? I liken sales enablement to kind of that baseline or that the drum beat that's consistently underneath a song that if you took it away, you'd be like, oh, that sounds really different. What happened? That's what I think we are bringing to an organization, that consistency that we're providing up-leveling in skills, that we're providing tweaks here and there to pitches, to demos, trying new things, A-B testing on cadences, providing coaching. It's those little tweaks. If you improve something by 1% every day, think of the accumulation of that over time, right? Again, it's kind of that consistency every day. It's not super showy. And I think that that's what Most sales leaders are expecting extravagant results immediately. Like, you've been here three months, Stephanie. What are you doing? I'm like, well, I've built out this, 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 and this. And these are going to be the foundations and elements, an LMS content library, new cadences, new this, new that. These are all going to be foundational things that people can tap into along the way. Oh, and by the way, we're probably going to have to change these in four months because what worked then is not going to work now. So that's how I liken to what sales enablement can bring to organizations and how you can understand lagging indicators of what's not working, right? And you can see in your reporting and data, okay, we need to tweak this because we're finding that in our review of calls that people are falling off at this part of the demos. And so maybe if we change that, that might push people to purchasing quicker. We could go into some specific examples if you want, Carlos, but I'll pause there. No, that's good. I'm not trying to complain about sales anymore, but sometimes, not Stephanie's organizations, they dream up stuff without really talking to their customers. And I'll give you an example. Like I have this one account, they dream up this opportunity inspection that was uber complicated didn't refer back to anybody in sales and what they're doing now. And then they go to roll it out and they go, hey, they're not using it. And go, well, you dreamt this in the back room with a bunch of people that don't sell. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Not the first time I've heard something like that. That is not new reactions that I've heard before. That is something that I think most sales enablement professionals tend to kind of do things behind the scenes in silos without getting the buy-in from their sales leadership. But at the end of the day, who is your customer? Your sales reps, your sales leadership, because at the end of the day, it has to work for them. And so if you go dream up these things in a back room, in a garage, how is that going to work? I often find that scorecards or these templates or these inspections of whatever, Salesforce, 
pipeline, hygiene, whatever it may be, you have to make sure that it's going to work for the people that are doing the function and not just some ancillary checkbox. And okay, we think that this is going to help, but does it actually move the needle? What does it help do? Are you providing this XYZ template for pipeline review because it's going to keep you organized? It's going to keep your key initiatives that you're working on and your focus. Okay, maybe like that's something we should talk about that lives outside of Salesforce. But if your organization is truly data-driven and you have to go to this one report, well, could you build some sort of a workflow that brings all this information into your Salesforce instance and you don't have to fill out a, a form? Great. I like to think smarter, not harder. Don't make more work for people. Right. Nobody loves filling out forms. Nobody loves creating scorecards for the sake of creating scorecards. Yeah. When, like you mentioned earlier, like listening to call recordings and seeing where we're dropping off, I think there's a great role for sales enablement, but it kind of comes in two sides. One, you just mentioned, you got to know your customers. And are we interviewing our customers and sales or whatever the group is and understanding what's going on in their business, what's working, what's not? The other piece, and you kind of said it in a way is, hey, are we looking at the data? Right? Do we look at call recordings? Are we looking at, hey, you realize when we do follow our sales methodology, we have a 2x higher ACV? Because sometimes the sales reps and leaders don't realize it unless someone from enablement kind of brings it to the table. So I think there's a two important sides of it. How do you motivate, especially newer sales professionals coming into the mix, to actually follow some of these behaviors and do some of the things that we're recommending? Look, I think habits are not built overnight, right? Recommendations don't just come from the sky. And so I think building some sort of a suggested playlist of here's the best things that are going to help you and why and provide them the outcomes of the why. There's always got to be a whiff them. what's in it for them or what's in it for me. If you don't point out those things early on, hey, if you do this, this, and this, you could successfully close more business by just tweaking these things. Again, it's that 1% that you're changing every day or every week. I think that if I were my younger self, if I could look back at my younger self and someone said to me, hey, if you just change these three things about your workflow, you would achieve this, this, and this and make more money. Does that sound fair to you? Does that sound like I'd be like, I'm in. Yeah, I will change those things. And you know what? Actually, if you're noticing that I'm not doing those things, would you remind me? Because actually reminders are helpful. That's a great point. Any other specific examples of strategies that you've tried in the past you share with us and our audience to kind of give them some ideas of, hey, here's some things to try out with your teams? Yeah, I would say I, due to this interesting market, I've had some turnover on my own team, which I don't love to admit. But at one point, I had sales coaches on my team. And I think their role in providing a place of vulnerability, a safe space outside of their managers, was really key to some of these people's success in moving the needle in, again, that habit building. I think managers can be great coaches as well and motivators. But those sales coaches that I had on my team, I felt like they had this extra just layer of trust and credibility that was built with people that allowed for people's 
guard to just come down and really, and we were very careful about not making it therapy sessions or venting sessions, but giving them practical tools, resources, guidance, oversight was really key for some of these teams to take those middle performers and move them up. I love that as a formalized role, because like, I think that as someone who was, I was a manager often of SDR teams. However, I ended up in situations where I would coach AEs as well because of that exact dynamic you're just describing is it's like, okay, they didn't really feel like they could talk about whatever with their manager. So being a manager and having the experience I had, they would come to me. But I love the idea of creating that sales coach specific role. And then it's just like, you know, you've got your point person there who's going to help you that you can talk to. And then also love what you said about making sure it's not a complete therapy session. (laughs) I mean, sometimes it's hard to keep the rails around the conversation and people have gone through a lot these last few years personally. So maybe they do, that is affecting their mindset, but to make it constructive, right? Like, so actionable feedback, like things we can actually apply and not just, yeah, okay, I'm going to go off and vent. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say it was pretty structured in a way where we had a system that would provide some data that we had, again, kind of a formalized approach and they would go from there. So I felt like if I'm able to bring that role back to my team, that was really, maybe this is my plea for that, (laughs) but maybe... Others are looking for ways to bring some structure to their teams and think outside the box of how they could motivate their teams in a different way without some sort of reward. It could be a person that kind of helps build that cadence. There was one other thing I was going to mention, and I forgot. My brain is clearly not working. So let's just scratch that last piece. (laughs) Well, hey, uh, talking about having dedicated people that can help coach you, you brought something to mind. A lot of times in Lisa and I's practice, we're helping reps, organizations with a sales process methodology framework. But the biggest thing, especially in all the years I've done this is, hey, managers got to coach and basically inspect what they expect. I like the fact that you go, hey, you know, we're putting so much pressure on managers to manage to a number and become coaches for folks. It's nice that they have other people to help support that, especially other personalities, because right, not everybody's everybody's cup of tea or style. So it's nice to have more than one coach, be, which is your manager. Carlos, what I had said, I forgot, kind of popped back in my head. And I think you kind of sparked that response. So if you couldn't do the sales coach role, and maybe you want someone else from management to provide that level of inspection for the, what was your saying? Got to inspect what you expect. Thank you. Yes. Mentorship programs sometimes help too. So taking some of your high-performing AEs and pairing them with newbies on the team, I do actually think that there's a level of respect formed. One, it helps to build camaraderie and respect on the team. Two, I think it gets out of the Like it provides that institutional knowledge transfer. And thirdly, whenever you teach someone else, you reinforce your own skills. So it's beneficial to both parties. We've built out some mentorship programs for our organization and our sales coaches were helping to stand those up. But we're hoping that with the help of the people that are on the floor, that we can continue that knowledge transfer. So that's another way that you could go about doing things. I actually work with a company that's built a platform to help 
facilitate design those mentorship programs. And they initially started out with sort of like not-for-profits and associations and are only now really going to employers. But there's more of a call for that now from employers, which I think is fantastic because, I mean, I think informally we've done it. Like sometimes you just kind of like naturally pair up with people and mentor people if you've got those skills, right? Like if you are naturally a coach more than an individual contributor, especially like I took the path out of being an IC going into management because I love mentoring people. I love coaching people. I love to see what they do with it and where they end up going. So I love everything you were just saying. Well, I also really want to know what that platform is, if you can share that with me. Yeah, I will. I will. I'll send you some links because they've been doing great things. And yeah, so like kind of pivoting a little bit off this point, because I think another thing that all of this relates to is the hot topic, not pun intended, of burnout (laughs) and mental health and physical health and how that's been affected. I mean, especially again, these last few years, but also always in sales. When you're in that high pressure environment, you've got to hit that number. So I guess like when you're talking about this mentorship program, how should companies look at that as a tool to also help with that sales burnout? That is, I've never thought about it that way, but I think it also is kind of that built-in, I'm not going to say therapy session, but a built-in... Sounding board, maybe? Yeah. Colleague (laughs) that can help provide a little bit of clarity, potentially, right? Like, hey, I've been there and this is how I've gone about mitigating feeling this way, or I've tried this instead. So rather than being in the suck, let's move above and beyond and do this. Oh, and by the way, are you taking care of yourself? Like you can't always just be a machine, a sales machine. So having worked in the health and wellness tech space for 15 years, say, I we were selling platforms that would help mitigate burnout and stress and mental health and all of those things. So It is topics that are very near and dear to my heart that I think I've brought that with me for the rest of my life because I am also just very interested in health and staying healthy and practicing healthy habits. And so I think May was Mental Health Awareness Month. And so even some of my Stephanie Spicy Sales tips that I would put in our Slack channels embedded some healthy mental health things. Load Smart was definitely doing some things we do practice where what we preach and We have Lodi time where we're able to unplug. We are a global organization, so you can't be expected to be on 24-7. You do need to take the time to rest, recharge. And I think people in sales kind of are dopamine chasers anyways. I know I am. And when you don't feel that dopamine rush, you're like, what's the matter? What's going on? I'm not being productive today. It's like, well, you're being productive. You're doing other things. You're just not feeling like a strung out crackhead. Yeah. So <laughs> you're good. Like, maybe I should have said that. <laughs> well, I think most people just really love that chase of feeling high pressure, high anxiety. And at the end of the day, that's just not good for you to feel that way. If you're feeling that way for 25 plus years working in a field, you're going to eventually, it's going to catch up with you. And that stress is going to manifest in other ways whether it's having a massive heart attack or having a a mental breakdown, but you definitely need to prioritize taking time for yourself. 
I want to loop that back to something you said earlier too about consistency and like doing, it's the little things that you do every day. And I think we get caught in it too in our business. Like we've all been discussing how companies are pulling back on budgets and what is that going to mean for our business? And everyone was feeling a little bit like, oh, okay, we're going to have a quiet summer. As long as you're consistent and do like the things you need to do to be successful, you know what they are, do them each day and keep it in those bite-sized chunks, then I think it helps with that frantic feeling. It does. And I think, Carlos, I had shared with you that I was working on a project to profile our high performers and identify what the key attributes were for some of these people as to why they were high performers. Like, what was their grit like? What were their habits? And I can tell you, every single person in that high-performing cohort had habits that extended beyond just work that were individual, like one individual had said, I wake up at 4.30 every day. I meditate, I work out, I read, I do this, I do this, I do this, because if I don't have a positive, mental, healthy mind space, how can I be productive and a high performer and expect to come in and grind every day if I don't do these things for myself? And again, those healthy habits or just habits in general, if you don't do them consistently, then you're going to have an inconsistent output of performance in any of the places of your life, right? So whether it's taking care of your family, yourself, your eating habits, your workflow, you have to find a flow that works for you because it's not one size fit all either. That's uh, And now I'm plugging another company that I did a little bit of work with, but she's creating, because she did a lot of work with veterans, like with PTSD and things like that. It's all about doodling and how doodling is like a little mental health break. And she's also now moving into the enterprise space and working with employers. And it's like platform that notifies you. I don't know. I can't remember if it's every hour or like every 90 minutes to take a five minute doodle break. And she has these little notepads that help you to learn how to doodle. Cause she said a lot of the pushback is like, people don't know how to draw and that I don't know how to draw. I don't draw. I'm not creative like that. It's not about that. It's she's connected doodling to like the mental health break that you need because it's a mindless task. And so it's just interesting, like a five minute break every 90 minutes. And I don't have the stats in front of me, but it's like incredible the science she has behind, like how that helps you keep performing and refreshes your mental state, I guess. I'm going back to high school and college when like I would in all of the margins of my notebook doodle and it actually makes sense, I think. So yeah, maybe it's something to do with right brain, left brain too, right? Because when you're thinking very analytically, you're on one side, when you're doodling and being creative, you're on the other, and it kind of gives you a little mental break for a second. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. She actually sent me one of the little notebooks, and I tried it. And for five days, like she does this like doodle challenge for five days, just take five minutes every couple hours and doodle and see how. And it was really good. It was like anything, like walk away from your screen for a bit. What you know, like look out the window, take a quick walk. Like even if it's just around your house or around your office, like just disconnect for a few minutes every few hours. And it's incredible how it helps you to stay productive. I would also say, this is not exactly the doodle break, but I would say even just breaking up your day as a seller, right? Like if you sit in front of the screen all day, every day, you've got to break it up in terms of even myself, I've taken meetings. I know everyone loves to see each other. It's great. But I've had bosses in the past that hated huddles, hated like the quick jump on, just call myself. I'm like, I am fine with doing that. So there are times now with my own team that I'm like, you know what? 
rather than I love seeing your beautiful face during our one-on-ones, but I'm going to take a walk. Or if I'm in the office, I'll be like, do you want to go take a walk during your one-on-one? Like, put it on, you've got your cell phone with you. We can look at the agenda to keep us on task. But if we're not sharing things on a screen, let's go for a walk. Let's break up our day. Let's go do something because I think it just helps to, again, break up the monotony. Yeah, I love that. The walking meetings is like, that's something I did at the last company I was with. I started to do that. Like, let's get outside for a second. If it's like, if the weather's decent, let's just get outside. And like you say, as long as we don't need our screens to share something, just even like, or go to the kitchen or just go somewhere. somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I love that. I love that. So I want to just ask, because you were recently interviewed by the B2B EQ podcast, where you shared about high EQ employees. And so like, how does this tie in as far as like uh, your experience and what you've noticed companies doing for those to attract those high EQ employees? Yeah, I think there's definitely, I think it goes back to the habits, like understanding what makes people tick, right? I think there are certain behavioral questions that you can ask in your interview to understand what makes people tick, what is their resilience, and can you gauge how hard of a worker they are? I don't know, maybe. I think some people could be good, have good responses to questions. But I think that there's underlying things that you could build out your success profile to understand EQ, IQ, work ethic, all those different things. So I think creating a success profile for your recruiting teams to understand what are the attributes you're looking for in terms of these individuals. Do they fit in with your culture? Do they have the necessary skill sets for this industry? I do think that having some sort of a success profile is absolutely necessary so that you can find the best talent, so that you can weed through all the candidates. There's a lot of talent out there today. I think that that's the hard thing right now with this market. So recruiters and managers definitely have a hard job of sifting through a lot of talent, resumes. and But I think refining your process from the front end to ensure that you're asking the right behavioral questions, situational questions. And if you have a tool, now this is my plug, I don't know that I'm selling this, but I'm very passionate about some of those different assessment tools that can gauge some of those things for you so that you're not just arriving at some subjective place that it's actually based in behavioral science. Like that. All right, I'm gonna pivot over and this is probably gonna make me sound old. But it seems today we got more generations in the workforce than ever before. I know 60-some-odd-year-old reps and 20-some-odd-year-old reps, and then everything in between. So, Stephanie, any ideas on how do you motivate these folks? Because I'm on the older side, so traditionally we're motivated by money and title, and that's kind of what, you know, hey, that was good, right? The rest will figure out. It's not that way today. In fact, even the older folks, I think the older generation isn't that way today, right? Things have changed. So any ideas on how do you motivate people to change their behaviors, to do some of these things consistently on the long term when they're all motivated very differently? So I think motivation, there's two components to it, right? There's the intrinsic piece, there's the extrinsic piece in terms of Do a lot of people wake up every day going, I can't wait to be trained, right? If there's like a new tool, Carlos, that your team was rolling out and you're like, great, I've got to change my whole workflow because of this new tool. 
can't wait to go to that training, Stephanie. That sounds so much fun. So not everyone's intrinsically motivated to be like, wow, can't wait to get this tool training on XYZ platform. How is this going to help me? Okay, great. And then there's some people who are like, oh, that's kind of cool. I love learning about new tools. How is it going to help me? Secondly, motivation is external. There's got to be external forces that are brought in. So when I'm creating training programs, I'm trying to figure out a blend of those two things, the intrinsic, extrinsic. I look at training as a necessary evil, right? It's got to happen. Whether it's your onboarding or your everboarding, or we've identified skills that are going to really level up your game. Those skills don't just happen. And so we have to give you places to practice those skills. We have to give you the tools and resources to practice those skills. But you might be kicking and screaming along the way to go to those training programs, right? So if I could instill a reward mechanism to meet the needs of you going to those training programs, would that sound attractive to you? Possibly. Okay. Now, if those rewards met some of the needs that motivated you. You said money. So if I said, hey, on a quarterly basis, I'm going to need you to engage in two coaching sessions with the sales coach. I'm going to need you to take this refresher on our product certification. And I'd like for you to attend two of your choice freebies, elective courses within six months period of time. Does that sound like something that you could attain? Sure. It would be on your own <laughs> on t- your own time. I'm not going to force you on a Friday at 3 p.m. Now, if you meet those needs, if you check the boxes for those things, if you pass those things, we're going to give you the reward of your choice that you can go redeem on XYZ Mall. You're going to gain points every time you go engage with those programs. And if you want three days of extra PTO a year, we're going to give you that. If you want 2000 whatever, X amount of dollars to go towards your HSA contribution, would that sound fair to you? Does that sound attractive to you? Yeah. That's what I'm trying to build today because I think everyone is rewarded differently. I think if I were to say, hey guys, I'm going to teach you medic and you got to come on Friday at 8 a.m. and then we're going to have a pizza party with beer afterwards. Does that sound like everyone's going to want to go do that? No. so people are motivated differently demographics are motivated differently because some people might be like great i don't have to cook on friday night and i get some beer out of it great okay then i've checked the boxes for those people but for those people who have families and or have plans that friday and don't want to go to a pizza party with beer we can meet the needs of those people and they can get what they want and they've also achieved what we've asked them to do And maybe they did it kicking and screaming, but they did it on their own time. They completed it. And what do we care? Because at the end of the day, they completed it. Yeah, I like that. One thing that I've seen that works, and this is kind of even thinking about enablement. How do you measure their success? So I'm tying it back to that. So like some organizations, hey, I put out the training module. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) I like organizations that have common goals across functions, right? Like, hey, here's what we're trying to accomplish as a team. And then measure what they do towards the goal, right? As they get them there. Like you mentioned, nobody wanted to really go to training. One of the things we do is like, hey, do not call the sales training when you come to that Carlos or Lisa workshop. 
because nobody wants to go to that. <laughs> but if we really think about this as like revenue optimization or, or helping us achieve our goals, and then can we start the thing with, hey, look, here's our goal for the next three to five years. And by the way, folks, what got us to this point is not going to get us there. We got to find a way to up-level our game, stay ahead of our competition. So there is a reason that everybody can kind of get behind it. And then I love the fact that then you're kind of motivating them for their own personal reasons behind the scenes with your gamification. I think that was a great ad. It definitely does need to achieve the business goals at the end of the day. One team, one dream, unifying everyone to say, all right, we've got this new product. We need to make sure that we're at XYZ by H2 of 2023. How are we going to get there? That's what we've defined over the next six months. And here's how that applies to you and what you need to achieve. Yeah, it's, I mean, just between sales and marketing, we've done podcasts about sales and marketing working together. And then I go look at certain organizations and this is a client who said recently, I talked to their marketing person and they go, oh, this is sales stuff. That's, you're doing the sales thing. That doesn't have anything to do with me. I will tell you that she actually sat in on the coaching workshop. She sat in on the actual workshop with reps. And at the end of it, say, Carlos, I'm trying to get our CEO to invest in this new trade show. I used your sales methodology to convince him. And she shared that with the group. And that's what I mean about having, you know, this commonality, common language across the group and how powerful it could be at the end of the day because everybody kind of gets behind it. So that was a you know story where it's like, uh, can't believe she said this is sales stuff. And she really became a right, she did a 180 in her mental state in looking at it. And when we went around the horn of, hey, what are you going to do to make this successful in your organization? She talked about how marketing was doing things to align to the sales success a lot more versus, hey, I do my thing and they do theirs. So I thought that was awesome. That is awesome. You should be happy that one of your students actually applied their knowledge. <laughs> yeah, we love when that happens. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, you're actually using it. That's amazing. Yeah, we love those success stories. So just to kind of pivot back to something you mentioned briefly at the top of the show was that your background was actually, you're, you went to school to be a journalist. And so I'm curious, like, has that journalism degree helped you communicate more effectively? Like, has it helped you to achieve the goals that in the role that you're doing now? Looking back, I remember feeling a little crestfallen with the decision of saying, you know what, I don't know if I want to go move to Iowa or Idaho and do the soybean report. It's just not <laughs> it for me. I'm going to pursue something differently. What I think journalism allowed me to do was be a more effective communicator in multiple ways. Thinking on my feet for podcasts, right? So I think it actually is a, a transferable skill for me to be at the front of the room facilitating, create video components that are short, micro, snackable pieces of content for people, stakeholder management in terms of strategic communications, whether it's written, verbal, and otherwise. We all have transferable skills that we probably have not sat down and reflected upon. I recently read this post on LinkedIn from... Zoe Hartsfeld. If you don't follow her, she's got great content. She talked about landing a scholarship, having never been a long distance runner before. And she got a scholarship, a full ride in for running. And I think she was a soccer star or something to that accord. And her whole post was about transferable skills and how as people, we should recognize some of the things that have been ingrained in us 
could be some of those underlying powerful things that we bring to our jobs, our lives, our conversations. And so as sellers, I'm sure there's a lot of communication degrees out there that people have gotten from schools that you're like, what the heck do I do with this? Well, I'm sure you probably had to take a class called Storytelling 101 or Mastering Influence or something to that accord, right? How do you use those in your day-to-day? Well, storytelling could be brought to your demos, could be brought to your capabilities presentations. I'm sure that you're trying to influence VP and C-suite people all day. And so when you're in that big conference room, standing in front of that room or in the Zoom meeting, You've got to figure out what verbal and nonverbal cues to pick up on to make sure that you're keeping the conversation flowing. So there's lots of different transferable skills that I think people don't realize that they've acquired over their lives that could be put to the day-to-day in their jobs. So true. Absolutely. Even like one of the traits that we always looked for in sales hiring was athletes because they're competitive and they're determined and they're dedicated. And so I think that that's a really good example. And Zoe's post is like, okay, like my running scholarship, yes, I played soccer. I knew how to run. I was not a runner. And, but a lot of those things transfer. So it makes for an interesting dynamic there and depending on the role you're hiring for. So I'm sure we could chat with you all day about these topics, Stephanie, but we got to change direction a little bit here. And we ask every guest two questions at the end of the show. And the first being that as somebody who's been a revenue executive on and off throughout your career, you're a target for sales reps. So when somebody is like trying to get your attention to sell you something and they don't have a warm introduction, what is something that they could do to earn your attention and potentially even get a response from you? You have to stick out in some way for me. I think you have to be unique in some regard. And so personalizing for me, there's a lot about me out there, whether it's podcasts, featured content, I drop little nuggets, you picked up on the Girl Scout thing, I was a troop leader up until recently, I kind of hung up that sash recently. There's lots of different ways I think to get my attention because I probably receive, like many people at my level, hundreds of emails, whether it's through my inbox on LinkedIn or just my email. So I love video. I think video is still kind of a way to capture people's attention as well as that personalization. So figuring out some way with those two elements would still get me going. I think I've mentioned this recently to somebody else in conversation, but I had some gentleman write a rap song for me. (laughs) Nice. I love it. At least you're not trying to give you a Yeti cup or buy you lunch. <laughs> yeah. I've got enough Yeti cups. Yeah. I've that same one. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that those different gifting platforms do have some power. I do think that there's some psychological components of like abandoning the meeting. And so they're going to gift you XYZ, but use them wisely. I think otherwise it just feels weird, like accepting a gift. It's a bribe. Well, I think it also depends on who your target persona is. I got plenty of cups. I don't need somebody to buy me lunch. So I just blow through those really quick. So I think if you're trying to get the higher level personas and organizations, those gimmicks aren't going to work so good. In fact, they're going to seem gimmicky because they're getting thrown with those things all the time. So, all right. Excellent. Our last question is called the Acceleration Insight. Stephanie, here's what I'm looking for. Hey, what's that one piece of advice you'd love to share with our 
audience. It could be about work. It could be about personal life that can help them achieving their own goals and be as successful as you are. Oh, well, I don't know about all of that, (laughs) but I would say, so we talked a lot about habits today and I firmly believe in habits, whether it's building out my day into chunks of time as to what I'm focusing on and setting an alarm after those tasks are done to make sure that I move on and because work is always going to be there. So finding the habits that work for you. If you want to be that person who wakes up at 5 a.m. and hits your gym, you be that person. But find what works for you because it's not one size fit all. I love it. Really good advice. Stephanie, cannot thank you enough for taking the time today. If anybody was interested in contacting you to speak more about these topics or potentially like hire you as a speaker, what's your preferred method for communication? Well, I am easily found on LinkedIn. So you can find me. It's linkedin.com, smbenavidez.com. And otherwise, they if we do drop my email in here, we could drop my email in here as well. Okay, great. And so it's been great having you on the show, Stephanie. Again, thank you for spending the time with us. Thank you so much, Lisa and Carlos. I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you again. Thank you. All right, everyone, that does it for this episode of the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. Please check us out at www.b2brevexec.com. Share this episode with your family, your friends, your kids, your dogs, and maybe get them off screens for a little while. If you like what you hear, please subscribe on wherever you get your podcasts. We're everywhere. And if you really like what you hear, please do us a favor and throw us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Lisa Schneer. I'm joined by my podcast partner in crime, Carlos Noche. And until next time, we wish you nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.